Hi, welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise him. Praise him. Oh, praise him. Uh, today we're going to be talking about The Amateurs by Red Stitch and Voldemort and the Teenage Hogwarts musical parody by Salty Theatre. Wahoo! Wahoo! Very <laughs> yeah. the wahoo. I before this. <laughs> That's James. What is happening? I'm doing the um our theme song. That oh, theme that's song. what that, that's meant to be the. That was beautiful. How so are you going? I'm, I'm <laughs> really good. I'm really good. I'm a bit cold. Oh yeah, but I'm good otherwise. Great. Hi everyone out there. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise him. Praise Welcome. him. It's good to have you here mm. with us. Yeah. Thanks for joining. How are you, Jake? Me. Fine. Yeah. Super fine. Yeah. Going okay? Yeah, yeah. Had a jam-packed morning. Oh! Which we're apparently not allowed to talk about. I didn't say we can't talk about it. I just... You know when things are happening Mm -hmm. in your life, sort of, Uh and it's like... Talking about it feels like it's somehow like... You're still in like the phase where it's kind of like very gestational and quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand. And so talking about it feels a bit like jumping the gun. Yeah, you don't want to announce before you know. Well, it's not an announcement. It's more just the thing of like... You want to be further into it before you start... Choosing, like, saying things about it. Yeah. It's like the thing where people say, like, if you're working on a project, you shouldn't tell anyone about it until it's done. Otherwise, like, the fun of, like, the fun propelling you through it goes away. Sure, totally, totally. Yes. Then let's not talk about it. So let's Um, keep my morning super succulent and mysterious. Succulent. (laughs) How how have you been lately? Me? Oh, I've been good. I'm growing mushrooms. Where? Underneath your armpits. No, in my ears. What a gross thing to say. Underneath your armpits. Well, I did have that fungal thing under my armpit for a little bit. Oh, you're happy to discuss that? Yeah, well, I did. I'm a human person with a human body and I have human problems. I'm relatable. I'm not super duper sure that your fungus problem was a human problem. It was a human... Yeah, it was a fungus problem. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was a dark time of 2020. Quack, Uh, quack. (laughs) Quack, quack. Um, And I think that made my 2020 harder than anybody else's. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But no, the mushrooms I'm growing now are like a portobello white mushroom blend. And you're Growing them on purpose. On purpose this time. As opposed to just a result of bad bathing. It's not... Okay, it wasn't bad bathing. No. It was an infection. You were bathing too well. Okay. It was an we're infection. Not t- it was, I, I assume it was an infection. You never got cl- clarity on that? Well, I went to a doctor and got a cream. Oh, okay. He said it was a fungal, a fungal infection. Oh, God. Or a viral infection. I don't know. I didn't pay attention. I was drunk <laughs> at the time. Um, but I got rid of it. Uh-huh. It's gone. And now we're all happy. Great. And now I'm growing these mushrooms and I'm going to use them for ingredients in, in recipes. <laughs> Great, okay, that got suspicious it's towards the end when you started did. stammering. Yes, um, <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm gonna doing. eat them. I'm gonna put them in food, I am. Yeah, yeah, that's what else would I do? I'm gonna curse them and feed them to children. <laughs> I am gonna do that as well. But so I'm growing mushrooms, mm. um, I've been working. I saw a show which I'll talk to you about. Fantastic. Uh, and then what else did I do? There was something else. Well, is this you summarize? Are you about to give me I like guess a star I'm about rating? To give you a star rating of my week. How many stars out of five, James? Oh, oh! This uh, is big. Don't big. fuck it I up. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> Stick the landing. Um, I'm gonna give it. Well, is there anything else that you want to say um, about your week summary? Is that yeah, all that happened? You go first. What happened your week? I'm not ready to talk about my week. I don't think you go oh, first. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I wasn't to... prepared. I'll be the week entree to your yeah. delicious main course. Yes, because you are weak. My, uh, my week with two E's. <laughs> And mm-hmm. I, what happened this week? Not loads, like you, work. And then also, oh, I saw Elvis. 
Oh, you saw I was going to talk to you about Elvis earlier. I want to see it. Go on. Oh, sure. So Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. What did you think? The face you're giving me does not reek of joy. It wasn't great, James. Oh, no. It wasn't great. It was very strict. It was like, as far as like, I was ready for it to have have like all like, you know, the Luhrmann-y flourishes. Mm. And like the first 10 minutes of it did. But then it just seems like he might have lost interest in it. Oh. (laughs) In terms of like, I don't know, maybe he thought that editing was too exhausting. And so he just like stopped. So it just became like a very boring biopic. Well, but, but for like... Reasons that I'm not used to experiencing in a in a normal like boring biopic. It was like, it felt as if I learned really close to nothing about the emotional nature of Elvis Presley. What it started to feel like was just kind of like someone summarized like in bullet point form mm-hmm. all the things that happened to Elvis, and then Baz Luhrmann was just like, okay, let's just let's just make a, like a ninety second scene for every bullet point that oh. happened in Elvis's life. Okay, that does not sound like a good film. No, and so there was no room for, like, nothing was given enough time to, like, breathe or exist, and it was just, like, really weird. a series of, like, sort of, like, dull snapshots. I felt very similar about, um, what's his name? I never know how to say it. Guillermo del Toro? Guillermo Yes, what? The Shape of Water. Not what The a- Shape of Water. Um, that other one he did recently... What did he recently do? He did one about like the Great Depression and like carnivals and like and like being a, a con person. Oh, no, the the one Berlin was that him? No, no. <laughs> it was at a carnival. I'll look it up. Okay, okay. While James Google's, I'll I'll muse on carnivals. I found it odd, as many others did too, that they set um, the Phantom of the Opera sequel on Coney Island. I love that. You I love was listening. To, uh, uh, that song came on while I was cooking. James, you're meant to be researching. No, it's about <laughs> the movie. It's fine. Oh, but I'm like, just, we're, now, we're now talking about Love Never Dies. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I love that it's set in a carnival. Are you kidding me? That makes so much sense. Sure. It's fucking spooky and creepy and weird. Carnivals are fun. And it sort of seems like the next place, because that's where a lot of these sort of opera acts sort of went on to. Then dear Andrew Lloyd Webber, enemy of Patti Lapone, oh. why didn't you just write a new musical and set it at a circus? Because Phantom of the Opera, I I enjoy the story that Love Never Dies tells. Sure. I think it's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. I think it is worthwhile. I think that production has its problems. Sure. But I like it. I'm definitely a defender of Love Never Dies as well. There's some good Love songs Love Never Dies. That's a solid point. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Nightmare Alley was the movie. Oh, with Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yes, I felt like that movie had a pacing problem of just like... It was way too long, mm-hmm. but every scene was just like, let's get through this. Okay. Yeah, that's my entire uh, comment on that movie and right. by extension Elvis. Right, yeah. And it's like, uh, the fun thing on Elvis is just like, Austin Butler's fantastic. Um, uh, I He's so handsome. He's handsome. been so beautiful for like, I feel like he's been like 19 years old for a decade and Which a Which is half. concerning. Yeah, well, but maybe, I don't know. What's his secret? Plastic surgery. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was fantastic. I do not understand... Well, I guess I understand it, but I object to the way that everyone's being weird about the fact that he's still walking around acting like Elvis in his normal life. Because it's like... Oh, yeah. Because I, I'm i into it because it's like, they're the people we want making art. You know? I want weirdos. You want weirdos making you know? art. I don't yeah. want just a bunch of like models that have memorized their lines. I want fucking weirdos who are going to still think they're Elvis <laughs> oh, yeah. weeks oh, after oh. rap. Should I, should I start <laughs> pretending that I'm Elvis? 
I think you've misunderstood what I'm suggesting. I wasn't listening. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds like a good week, Jake. It was a fine... It was a, I guess it was a fine week. And yes, yeah, that. Did and also, they else? should have spent more time oh. focusing on Priscilla Presley. <laughs> I'm shocked that they didn't. Yes. Everything they, I've heard. The fact that they went with the Tom Hanks perspective of everything. Because is he meant to be playing the manager or something? He's playing, like, the manager that... There was apparently, like, like a rigorous memoir written about the relationship that this manager person had with Elvis Presley. Mm. And they've gone with, like, yeah, Tom Hanks playing this guy in far too many prosthetics. It's like, I still, not to go into another rant <laughs> that I will launch yeah. into at any moment, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I don't understand why when people are, de- like, playing real people from life in movies, why they have to be covered in prosthetics. To look like the people. Literally, why is that the way things are? Yeah. It's like, why can't, why, Nicole Kidman should be able to play Virginia Wolf with her real nose. <laughs> That's not Virginia Woolf's nose! Like, what are we do- Why are we all playing, like, dress up so thoroughly and no one's pointing at how insane it is? It's like, we're willing to open up our, as we should, open our minds up to, like, colour-blind casting and gender-blind casting. Yeah, but no, true. But Tom Hanks has to be morbidly obese with a funny-shaped nose. <laughs> I guess some people want to go for that historical, but it's Baz Luhrmann. Like, Baz sure. Luhrmann's all about... Yeah, that's crazy to me. That that's- is weird. Bonkers. Like, unless it's really inherent to the character. Like, if them missing an arm is essential to their story, absolutely get someone with one arm. Chop that arm off. Chop that arm off. James Franco it. But otherwise, you can look like how you look and play whoever you want. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, um, what was it? Bloody Gary Oldman put on all all those prosthetics to be Winston Churchill and won a lot of awards, didn't he? Yeah. Well, I I don't know how many awards he won, but... I think he won a lot of I definitely didn't see that movie. Neither did I, but I know he did that. Yes. (laughs) Which is something... Which says something about how... Much. Maybe that's part of the reason. Maybe that gets people talking about it. That's the only reason I know about that movie is because he put on a bunch of prosthetics. Sure, sure. Yeah. And the way that Jared Leto is so, you know, one of the things about Jared Leto is how much he enjoys gaining and losing weight for roles. Oh, sure. And he put on prosthetics for that Donatella Versace movie. Sure. Yeah. Was it a Donatella Versace movie? House of Gucci? Gucci. Is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. That's go- the guys are going to be coming after me. Oh. Yeah, they, oh, look out. Oh, my God. So I guess I'll give my... Wink. Give it a one, two, a one, two, three. Shaka daka daka. I'm trying to think of any numbers that have anything to do with Elvis. Do any numbers have to do with Elvis? One o'clock, five o'clock, <laughs> seven o'clock, eight o'clock. But that's another thing. There were barely any of his songs featured properly in it. And also none that's of the weird. movies he made were in it. Oh, that, that's weird. It was like a like monta- whole thing. It was like a whole thing where some voiceover was like, oh, Elvis made a bunch of movies. And then they sort of like montaged rapidly through some of them happening. Hmm. But we spent none of our time on those film sets except for like, I think maybe one or two times when once he was like, had, like bickering with his wife and one time when one of those presidents got shot. Like, Which one? Um, it happened twice. It was when like Bobby Kennedy and um, Martin Luther King who I know was not president. <laughs> Stop yelling at me. <laughs> and then maybe there was like a third assassination. Because you know how like the end of the 60s was all just like bullets. Oh yeah, bullets <laughs> flying. Just bang. Well, we're heading into that now, aren't we? Heading into the 60s. The Japanese I Prime wish. Minister just got assassinated. <laughs> who did? The Japanese Prime Minister. He did. He did get you assassinated. You think this is going to be the start of a trend? Th- well, are you calling it now? Prime Minister <laughs> Albanese said that this, well, not Albanese, not him, but one of the people in the defense ministry said that it's going to happen again. More assassinations. Yeah, they were like, oh, this, we're definitely headed to more. They just said, this looks like we're headed Heading into more assassinations. That's what they said. Not in those words, but they said that. Oh. Yeah. Is this from the same news source where I recently read that article about how... Let me know if anyone else has come ABC across this. News? It was ABC News. No, that's not where I was on. Well, so, there we go. You know when you, like... I don't know if you have this. When you, like, hear, like, a like a tidbit of information from some doofus. And you're like, that's really interesting news. But because it's coming out of your stupid mouth, I don't necessarily believe you. So I have to... Everything fe- you say. Exactly. So when I was listening to a me in my own life, <laughs> oh. someone was like, oh, this, like... Oh, was it, like, CERN? 
Somebody CERN. Yeah, it was like I think it was the Hadron Collider people because you know how they just turned it back on again. Oh yeah. I felt it. They this like a news article came out and a few people were talking about it and they were like, "Hey, why is no one talking about the fact that CERN came out and said that when they turned on the collider in the first place, they accidentally ended reality and we are all now just living in a like a like a projection that they invented because to replace Because if that's the truth, what are we going to do about it? You know, like, what am I going to do about living in a reality? Let me live in this reality. It's that's fine. Thing. It's all we've got, you know, you know? I watched a video last night on YouTube about um, this guy whose head, whose, whose head was put into a Hadron Collider yes. thing while it was on. Th- and th- a particle went through his brain. But this is a thing that really this happened? This thing that really happened in Russia. Oh, okay. They had their own version of a Hadron Collider. And they shot a head with it. Not on purpose. He was, like, meant to go in and do some maintenance and everything that went wrong could. And it oh. just so happened that he, like, his head was in the path of the particle. Oh, was he, he survived. Okay? I, I got about, like, three quarters of the way through the video before I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> well, it sounds like pretty low-stakes Too boring. <laughs> <laughs> Next. More penis. Um, and, yeah, he got, like... But he didn't die, like, straight away. But, like, he so... He says, they say that he saw the light brighter than a thousand suns, knew something was instantly wrong, mm. but then he finished his maintenance and just went home. He must love spanners. <laughs> he just he was like, all right, time to clock out, went so, home. How could you see a light brighter than the sun? He just says he did. I guess he saw it in his brain and yes, not in which his is, eyes. Yes, which is where you're able to see those things. Yes. Yes. Don't yes. get me started. Don't get me started on consciousness. <laughs> and not to loop back to where I began this... this oh, Elvis. <laughs> somewhere in the midpoint. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so this article came out and someone was talking about it. I was like, why is someone talking about how the, the fact that like CERN has apologised for ending reality as we know it? And I was like, I don't know that I they came out they and said that. that. <laughs> Do you reckon so, they did? No, I, no, I looked into it and I was that's how I ended up on this website that was like hotnews.com slash future. Oh, <laughs> where, where you now get all your sources. <laughs> I was like, this doesn't seem real. And then I like read the article that these people were referencing and they were qu- the, quoting the people on this panel from CERN. Yeah. And they were the claiming that the people from CERN were like, and that's why we've had things like the rise of the Kardashians and crazy weather events. It's like... In what? what way are these... And, and, like, that's how it was worded. It was like, they were acting as if, like, this representative from CERN was coming out and literally sitting there being like, Sorry for the Kardashians. Literally, that's how they were claiming this CERN guy was talking. It's like, okay, <laughs> could you go out and just tell the world that it, that we ended it accidentally? And they've sent out the dumbest idiot in town to just be <laughs> like, So you know how Khloe Kardashian is pretty skinny now? <laughs> Anything you don't like, that was us. <laughs> we did that and we're so sorry. Whoops, we pushed a big red button and we fucked Whoa. it all. <laughs> so, Maybe pressy big button. See <laughs> doopsies. Yeah. So, so how many stars, Jake? Um, how many Kardashians are there? Uh, Seven? Eighteen? Eight? If you include the children, there's what? Twenty-six? Sure. Twenty-six stars. That's a lot of stars. What about your week? My week? Well, I'm growing those mushrooms. I worked. I, I, I saw a show. Like, really, I have not done much this week. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, I played Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Which is something I'm happy to admit on air. Sure. Um, and uh, that was fun. Mm-hmm. So I guess... Give it. And we also oh. had to, like, yesterday we went to that game store. Oh, we went to the game store. Yes, we ran into each other because I had to grab the key off of you because I, I crashed on your asylum cot. This is <laughs> very hot, interesting <laughs> stuff you're hearing. But yeah, so we had to go into one of those like stores that I'm afraid of. Those ones with yes. all the game people in All the game them. people. And it's a uh, board game. It was amazing because it's it's full of people who aren't necessarily super happy socially interacting. Which is great. Which is great because it means that like people just get in there to have a look at the board games and then just get what they want and leave. It's great. And everyone's polite and yep. quiet. Yep. It's kind of a dream little situation. Situation. It's really nice. Uh, and you bought a, a thing. 
I bought a gift. <laughs> I didn't want to say. None of you listening. Don't, 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 don't you tell her what I got her. <laughs> you bought a gift. Um, uh, and I went upstairs with Flynn and we saw like the Dungeons and Dragons room. Yeah. And it was full of Dungeons and Dragons stuff and I loved it. Sure. Sure. You didn't want to go upstairs. No, I only heard tell of this nerd room really because good. I'm far yeah. too funky to go yeah. into a place like that. You know, we Flynn and I went to the Melbourne Library that day. Yes. Like the, the one down to Grave Street mm-hmm. way. Yes. And there, you can just play video games in there. You can just wander in. In the, There are two consoles with two controllers each. They just have like a Wii Fit set up. Well, they have an Xbox and like a PlayStation, I think. And you can just walk in and play video games with each other. Oh. Isn't well, that amazing? That's, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I give in. <laughs> I give my week seven stars. Seven stars. Because it's been seven days since we last did this and I can't think of a better number. That's a really strong choice you've Thank made. Thank you. I'm to talk about some theatre. I would love nothing more than to talk about some theatre with you. Oh! Oh, let's do it. Hi, Jake. Hello, James. Um, I went to the theatre last night. Oh! Yes, what we do here. Uh, and I saw a show mm. at Red Stitch. Great. Around the corner. Yep. Now everyone knows vaguely where you live. Don't tell them that. Um, and uh, it was called The Amateurs. It was called The Amateurs. That was the name of the show. Great. What was it? Who wrote it? Or is that a secret you're saving for later? <laughs> I had to pick this up. I know it's Jordan. Jordan Harrison. Great. Wrote this one. Uh-huh. Um, and he wrote it in 2019, which will be relevant to the story later on. It better be, because if I have to learn dates for no reason, it's I'll kill year. myself. It's one year. It, yeah. Um, so uh, I, I knew that I wanted to see this show, because I often go in and see these shows blind without mm-hmm. knowing anything about them. Yeah. Uh, but this was a show that had been suggested to me by like social media algorithmic targeted advertising. <laughs> I was ready for you to say, like, a trusted friend. <laughs> and my mother. Oh! Yes, both of these sources told me to see the show. Yeah. Um, I saw it on the algorithm, and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, like the vibe of it is instantly very, like, medieval players. Oh, very James. Very James. Yes. Uh, and my mum sent me a message of being like, oh, you've got to see this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just sort of like, oh, yeah. Because she also recognised the Jamesy vibe. She did. She got the vibe. She Great. got the vibe. Um, okay. And so I, I need to tell her that I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Linda, for, for suggesting the show because I really enjoyed it. You should probably also thank her directly. Nope, she can nope. listen to the podcast. <laughs> Mum, you got to listen. you got to listen. Support support your son. Um, <laughs> I just shout all my messages into this horn <laughs> and I just Mom, hope people hear them. Um, <laughs> I will be bringing chips to dinner tonight. Um, what else? Okay, so yeah, saw the show. Uh, and uh, yeah, so still went in relatively, but I didn't research too much about it. Um, so Red Stitch, the bell goes, they ring the bell to be like, come on in and see the show. Who did you see it with? Myself, I went alone. Oh, just alone? I went super alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sit- okay. So the bell rang, and that's when they usually say, get inside. Yeah. Not this time. <laughs> this time they did the usual, like, um... Exits are here, bars over there, welcome to land, all of these intros. And then they, where they usually say, come on in and sit down. They said, the show will begin outside in the courtyard. Okay. Oh, so no. everyone shuffles out into the cold. Yes. Uh, and we, <laughs> Which people love. Oh, loved it. We all weren't complaining. Uh, we shuffled out and we weren't. We shuffled out. <laughs> we were excited. Because there was good heating out there. So we shuffled out into the cold. Yeah. And we were... <laughs> Into the damp cold. <laughs> a deafening groan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I was and um, waited for a little bit. And then around the corner, mm. uh, you know Red Stitch, you know the church? So Red yeah. Stitch is right next to a church. Yeah. And the around- church is now a gym? I think it is a gym, yes. yes. But it's still like outside, it's a church. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, and around the corner, of the, there's, there's this light. 
oh. it gets a bit brighter. Oh my god! And in this distance, we're all chatting, and you can't really hear anything, but I can see it. This like growing, flickering light, and I, I immediately was like, "Oh, what the fuck is this?" <laughs> and then around the corner uh-huh. come, I think it's seven, no, six, six of them, six, like full medieval, beautiful. Co- I immediately, before I go any further, need to say Dan Barber did, mm. did the set and costume for this show. Cool. And it's, I think it's one of my favorite sets and costume combinations I've seen in ages. Cool. Like really, really beautiful. They, they looked like they had stepped out of like medieval renaissance sort of gorgeous fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they come on out, they're all filthy, they're all wearing skull masks, and four of them are carrying flaming torches. Fantastic. Like, it was just the most... And that coupled with, yes, the cold and the damp, immediately... <laughs> like, like, no, I say it because... You're a slut for damp. I love damp. <laughs> um, it, 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 like, immediately felt like, oh, we've travelled back in time. Uh-huh. This is, and, and then they were just there doing this sort of traditional sort of... Ah, and they were doing, like, the seven deadly sins, I think. They were doing all these sort of, like, um, what are they called... The sort of moral moral plays? Moral plays? Is that what they're called? Yes. Yeah, like where it's all about like teaching morals and values. Morality. Morality plays. plays. Yeah. So they did one about the seven sins. Okay. And um it was sort of like it just felt so authentic and real. And then we watched that and um one of the cast members dies. Okay. Like starts coughing and sputtering blood and dies in front of us. And it was really quite quite horrible, like traumatic. It was like very well acted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they all shuffle off and then the bell goes again. Mm-hmm. And we then we all saunter into our seats. At last. At last, <laughs> out of the damp and the cold. <laughs> so we did like the so we did that, we all sauntered in, met my coffee. So how long did that morality play? Not take? long at all. I think that would have taken five minutes tops. Okay. Like like they, they, I think it was just to sort of set the scene of because they're tr- it's meant to be a troupe of travelling actors. Mm. And this is like this is like they drawn the card up, they'd picked a spot, done the show, and then they all went off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went inside, sat down. The set was like this, um, you, you know the Red Stitch space, it's quite a small room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of, the floor was just dirt. Like yep. It was dirt, and then on either side it had a little raised hill. And then the walls were painted in this, I just, I want to say that because it was really beautiful. It's painted in this sort of, like, sketched way that had like a few random like Roman numerals here and a few random little bricks here and it looked weathered and worn and then the top of it was sort of painted black so it sort of faded into nothing. Mm. Really, really cool. That's the set and sitting in the corner in the dirt is Brian Lipson and they're all and they're all dressed in these, all the characters are dressed in filthy, filthy clothes. Like they look dirty as hell and he's just sitting there and I've got to say, Brian Lipson, I've never seen him act in anything but after reading his, like his um, bio, he's done some shit. Like that man has done a lot mm. and um, yeah, he's just an incredible... I just really enjoyed watching him. Uh, and then as we we are all settled in and the show starts, it just immediately dives into sort of like the backstage sort of view of what these medieval actors had to deal with getting these show ready, shows ready. Like, Brian was the prop master and he had to sort of make all these silly medieval props. And um, the, the, the lead actor, the director of the troupe... Um, well, let me find his name because he was great. Dion Mills mm-hmm. comes in and he, in all the morality plays, he plays God yeah. because he casts himself as God. So that's just sort of tells you about that character. So he comes in and starts reprimanding him for doing the props wrong. And then in comes another character and they all have their own sort of like qualms and quarrels that they bring. And they're all dressed in these be- I, I just, I love the red. They're all wearing red. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jack. That's a strong colour. I. <laughs> it was I. It was about agency and what we can do 
and what art means in the face of disaster. So the show was written in 2019. Yeah. And it was written about the bubonic plague. Mm. So the, these actors during the time of plague. Uh, it, 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 and in not so subtle ways, it sort of compares it to the AIDS crisis. Um, and it was sort of like sort of humanizing these medieval figures and sort of and putting them in context that we understand. Um, AIDS plays. What do you think of AIDS plays, Jake? What do I think of AIDS plays? AIDS plays. What's your favorite AIDS play? Play AIDS play. As in like plays about AIDS. Yeah. I guess holding the man is the obvious decision because yep. that means a lot to me as a text and all its different iterations. I still haven't seen the film. Sure, um, I have seen the film. You have, yes. Good I just film. can't. I just don't want to see it um, as a movie. Um, but yeah, but yeah, that as a text matters a lot to me. And of course, Rent. I was going to say Rent. <laughs> I know it gets a lot of flack, but I love Rent. Rent is your favourite AIDS thing. I think it is. Well, second favourite after seeing this. Oh, what? This? Okay. I really I really enjoyed the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I think I do, because uh, you know me, I particularly enjoy sort of like that sort of medieval period, like the aesthetic. And again, I cannot discuss in depth too much about <laughs> the middle part of the show. Yeah. But they, they, it feels almost like a history lesson in where these morality plays came from, what and, and sort of what the human beings that were performing these morality plays were doing and surviving and why they made the choices they did. And I, I found I just really found it quite enjoyable to sort of watch them breathe life into these figures that are they were always so sort of staunch, you know? Like they're always presented in morality plays as because the morality, the, the the play itself, um, the amateurs, it centers around the troupe trying to get together a production of Noah's Ark, mm. uh, f- so that they can be hired by a duke of a certain region to be like the duke's players, and they can be sheltered from the plague. Mm-hmm. And there's so many great moments of like why they're sort of comparing the Ark to like their 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 little cart that they get around on, and sort of like trying to survive the plague. And you know, without spoiling too much, there are deaths, and they have these discussions of why they should even keep going when their friends are just being buried in these huge piles of worm-ridden corpses and then they'll just be forgotten and no one will remember them. And Mm. in in a way, they're right. We don't remember them. We just remember the morality plays. Um, And it focuses on this one bit in that play, in um, in the morality play of Noah and the Ark, where Noah asks his wife to get on the Ark and in the morality play, she says no. Mm. And she chooses not to. Until they they eventually make her get on the ark. But this sort of discusses why did these medieval actors presenting these morality plays that shouldn't have too much personality, because this was all before the concept of I even existed, um, which which they do go into in the show. They talk about the sort of concept of the individual not existing at this time. Mm. And why would they then choose to make Noah's wife have this beat, this moment of personality and individuality of refusing this and she in one of the earlier scenes has this sort of aside where she sort of explains why would I want to when I've lost all faith in God why would I want to survive and get on this boat when all of my friends are drowned in these wormy piles Mm. and that was when it was sort of oh this is about AIDS right and um yeah like it made like it made me cry Mm -hmm. it made me laugh um I really want you to see it because I want to discuss it with you. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, if I'd known it was about AIDS, I would have seen this show faster. Yeah, there we yeah. go. There we, there we go. Right. They pose this question at the end about like what art is and one of the great lines is, what is art? What is the point of art? Is art to sort of chronicle and capture history in a way that we can remember it? 
is it a way, is it an arc that we can get into and survive on and avoid thinking about all the horrible things that we're going through? Or is it a nail that bleeds for us so that we don't have to? Hmm. And it was really fucking just harrowing and it, it felt desolate. This sort of dirty landscape with all these people trying to survive this horrible time. And as I said, this was written in 2019. So watching this now, it take, obviously takes on a whole new meaning while we're all sitting in our little masks and trying to sort of avoid the coughing fit next to you because you think that they might have COVID. Um, and it was one of those times, cause I know that when COVID first started, we would often talk about like, not excited for all the COVID art that's going to come out of this. Yeah. <laughs> but this, ironically, was written just before COVID and yet to me has become one of the best unintentional sort of reflections on what we're all feeling during this time. Mm. Um, in terms of the cast, this cast was so good, Jake. Mm -hmm. um, and they're all seasoned actors, which I always love. Good, good. <laughs> like a good steak. You want them to be seasoned. Yeah. Emily Goddard yeah. played Hollis. Incredible actor. Um, one of those actors that just... Because they all, they all play a few roles. Uh, and one of those... She just slips so seamlessly between the two without having to do anything. Mm -hmm. And you can just sort of tell... I don't know. She just has this really beautiful voice that I could listen to all day. Olga McKeever, who played Rona, was also just great. She had a... I couldn't tell whether her accent was meant to be... German or French, but 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 it was a good accent, whatever it was. It was, it was very enjoyable. She um, studied at the Academy of Theatrical Arts in Moscow, and then she toured in the Soviet Army Theater across the USSR. Cool. Which I just think is a really, really fun fact. And she came to Melbourne in 1999 and is just acting away. And I just think that's so cool. Yeah. But um, but she, she played, she played um, Rona, who was like the sort of harlot in the cast, in the um, cast of actors bone dry sarcasm in every line which I think was sort of necessary because god this show was grim and to have any sort of humour was very welcome I guess part of the reason I really enjoyed this show is because of the way Jordan Harrison w wrote it in that because of the nature of the show it, it covers a lot of things but one of the things it does discuss is the importance of art in a crisis and what is the importance of art in a crisis um, which I think is really relevant to where we are now um and, and the, the, just using the vehicle of a troupe of actors to sort of be able to discuss that. Because, Jake, you, you, you have... A, you, I don't know if you've just discussed on the show, but you have opinions on writers writing about writing. Is it something that you enjoy seeing when writers write about writing? I have no strong feelings about, like, whether they should do it or not. I just think it's often done in a way that I find quite grating. Sure. Um... Yeah, no, but when it's done well, it's fantastic. I th yeah, okay. I think I think I yeah. This is why I'm curious for you to see it because I think I think this was done really well. I really mm. liked it. Sure. Um. So, did the play leave you having made a new decision about, or have you really specifically thinking about a particular facet of art's purpose in a crisis? There, like, I, I think the point for for me, I think the point. It doesn't matter what you think of art; it's going to change. Like, the way that people look at morality plays then was so different to the way more people look at morality plays now, just by context of the times. But also just, like, you can't really pin a meaning down to a single piece of work, you know? Like, you can't put a nail through a piece of work and try and fix a meaning to it, because ten years from now it's going to mean something different. I mean, three years after this play was written, COVID happened, and now, to me, it means an entirely different thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's sort of pointless to try and use art to, conv I don't know, to try and particularly hammer home a meaning but I think it's art is more useful in trying to capture a feeling which I guess is a meaning is that a meaning I don't think that's a meaning what do you think a meaning is in art like what is meaning what is it even what is it what does it mean well uh, well it, it, it 
I feel like the meaning is elicited largely through, well, even you're talking about pinning a feeling, um, like the feeling can't come from the art. The art doesn't have a feeling, so it has yeah. to come from the person experiencing the art. Um, but it's even like what people's, who, I forget who said it, but it was about the crucible and they said that it's the sort of play that will stand the test of time, but will also bear witness to it in the way that as has proven mm. to be the case, you can stage the crucible whenever you want to, and it will speak directly to issues of the time. True. You know? Yeah, that's so, interesting. And that's certainly not to say that every play should be expected to have that level of timelessness to it, but in a way will, in the way that an AIDS play brings with it like a fresh understanding for people about an element of the AIDS experience. Mm. Um, But at the same time, as you've pointed out with this play can speak to so many other things as well. Yeah. I don't know, but it's it's interesting with theater, especially too, because it being made out of like living people, like the fact that for the most part, theater will incorporate living beings operating in a space with a text or whatever has, like if you're restaging something, you bring that old text, you do what you do to it and you put it into these bodies and all the other contributing artists and, that they bring with them their entire lived experience as well, you know, and they bring their like brains and muscles and eyeballs and stuff, you know? So then you add on top of that, the people that are perceiving the art too. And it's like, that's part of what makes theater such a fascinating style of artistry is all those things, you know, there's so much, even before the curtain goes up, there's already so much history on stage. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, and I think it was it felt interesting to sort of see, I don't know, I hadn't seen a plague play. Like a play about the bubonic plague. I just hadn't seen that. Yeah. And I think to sort of like try and, yeah, for these people to come on and try and put on that show from that time felt new somehow. I don't know. That's I re- wonderful. I really, really liked it. Especially I re- good. It's also just good, like even you saying that thing that we have, and a lot of people have talked about the thing of like the fear of making COVID art because we were also ready for it to be terrible. Yeah. This seems to have for many reasons, but one of the ways in which they seem to have, I imagine, managed to dodge kind of like the eye-rolly concept of putting on a like a COVID play is by seemingly accidentally writing a piece that wasn't explicitly about COVID but speaks to so many of the themes of it. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah, and it's really funny. We, yeah, like I said, 2019. Mm. Unless they knew something we didn't. Are you hatching a Jordan? conspiracy theory? Jordan. Jordan, reach out to me. You think Jordan fucked that pangolin? I, I think Jordan... Jordan fuck that pangolin. Fair. Fair theory. Is that anything else to say? No! I just wanted to end. <laughs> Before we get too deep into that, um, oh, where is it? Darcy Kent. Yeah. Who played Brom and the Major Domo. Um, first of all, brilliant actor. They all were. I can't fault any of them. Second of all, Major Domo. Zazu was a Major Domo. Major Domo is sort of like, are you asking what a Major Domo is? Yes. Major Domo is sort of like, almost like, like a right-hand man or like a like lead butler or the head of your staff. Zazu makes sense because Zazu almost is... Cause is Zazu a majordomo? He's the king's majordomo. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> He's sort of, because in this case, it's often... I Every time I've seen majordomo used, it's been slightly more militaristic. Right. Like they've always been a little bit more on the military side of things. Sure. Um, but yeah, but Darcy Kent, it was his birthday yesterday when I went to see the show. <laughs> That's just... I just want to say happy birthday, Darcy. He'll really appreciate it. He'll really... That. If you ever hear this, I hope it was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> How did I know that? I'll never tell. Oh. Yeah, great. <laughs> okay, so you. Okay, good. So you've you've come up with this very intrusive introduction soundtrack yourself. <laughs> yes, yes, I have. Um, how did were you? What did you want me to say in response? Um, in an ideal introductory world. You're amazing, James. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't realize you had perfect pitch and a beautiful singing voice. 
Are you a young Julie Andrews? Yes, yes. Oh, yes, I am. Oh. Ah. Um, I hear a, a little birdie, mm. a little owl. Yes. <laughs> told oh. me. God, God, I hate Harry Potter. <laughs> God, I hate Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Why the fuck did you see a, sh- a Harry Potter show? So I went to... <laughs> to Long story short... <laughs> It may not even be a short story. Let's see how long this takes me to tell you about. Yeah, go on. Okay, so before I tell you that I went to see Voldemort and the Teenage Hogwarts musical parody by Salty Theatre, uh-huh. um, I went to... <laughs> I... It, it was in Frankston. I, what? I forgot how far away Frankston, Frankston is. Frankston is so far away. It was so far away, That's James. It's the end of a train line. It's And it wasn't even just that. It was also replacement buses <gasps> on the two train lines I had to get on to get there. James, it literally took me. I left my house at four. The show started at 7.30 p.m. And I needed to leave at four to get there on time. (laughs) Oh, and you hate Harry Potter. I spent an entire high school day's worth of time traveling to and from this musical. (laughs) My God. Yeah, because you had to get back. Oh yeah. my god! Yes, I didn't bring all my things and move to Frankston. Yes, I think there's something back. you do. It does sound like that. What? Okay, what? so that's a tragic, tragic backdrop mm. to put this on. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> let that context frame the experience that I put forth for you. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it happened to the George. It happened to the George Jenkins Theatre, which I didn't realize is on the Monash University campus. Is there a monarch? Oh, because they have like the medicine school down there, don't they? Like, they have paramedics no, I... and stuff. My sister studied paramedics oh, sure. down at Frankston. On like the peninsula campus. Oh no, she went. My, my housemate studied there. My sister studied somewhere else. But yeah, sure. if so, that's yeah. where they're. So this theater was in that campus. Caviar. Yeah. Um, yeah. So went inside. Literally though, first off, I was very grateful that I made the journey to this place. I went in and sat in this theater that they have there, and it's like, do you know what objectophilia is? I gonna go ahead and take a stab in the dark is it a love of objects and things it's like yeah. you know there's people that are like oh I just really I want to marry the Eiffel Tower yes I want to yeah. fuck that plane yeah it was like I had that for this theatre I like went inside and sat down and I was like this space is so beautiful you wanted to fuck that theatre I didn't want to fuck it but I was like you I, wanted the theatre to fuck you I was literally just like this space it was just like the way that it's kind of like the, the audience bank feels like an amphitheatre mm. but it's not super gigantic so it's like it still feels intimate but still has that amphitheater sort of shape oh my god and then the the the, like the stage itself is kind of like this this big beautiful oval ah. and it's just kind of like flanked by these like blackout curtains at the back what like, oh I, <laughs> the things that i was imagining staging on this goddamn stage oh my god i was so into it the george jenkins theater it's a beautiful name isn't it <laughs> it really rolls off the tongue <laughs> George Jenkins. George Jenkins. Yes. Uh, so that was fun. Also, yeah. So went in and then... Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> it, was a, it was a masterclass in how important it is to choose your pre-show music correctly because they nailed it. What was it? There were such classics as... There was like... One Dire- which One Direction song was it? Story of My Life, I think it was. Because it was one that I hadn't listened to in quite some time and I was like, oh, yes, this! Okay. <laughs> can't they have a bank of classics, those boys? We're not getting into it. Oh, we can't. I'll get overwhelmed. They played that, that, that babushka, babushka Babushka! <laughs> Great That's song. That's that I only ever hear against my will. Kate Bush? Is that, is that Kate That's Bush? That's Kate Bush. It was also the thing, too, of like... They, because it was obviously, I don't know how much context to give you in terms of what this show is. It's like an, it's an unofficial, like unauthorized parody musical based on Harry Potter. And again, these are the most interesting things about these sorts of shows. It's how they get around all the copyright. It's literally just, like, I've looked into the legality of it before. Yeah. As long as you just say it's a parody, you can do whatever you want. Oh, okay, right. That's all you have that to do. That solves all of my problems. Oh, what are you planning on staging? 
Nothing. Nothing. The unofficial <laughs> uh, story of a young Horace Slughorn. A, y- a young Horace Slughorn. Is that a different Harry Potter character, or is this a different world? Different Harry Potter character. He's oh. um played by oh god, what's his name? He's the guy who's the um, spectacular, spectacular. No words in the vernacular. I'm sorry, you're saying it's the same actor as Same him? actor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, whose name I always forget. So, that's why I did that bit, because I thought you'd remember his name. No. Uh, no, um, my brain is just yelling Richard Roxburgh at me because he was the Duke, and he was also in Elvis, playing the dad. He was in... <laughs> oh, but that's a fun fact. I'm going to look up this actor's name. Oh, good. Okay, well, while you do that, I will start musing about the fact of when I... Yeah, so I was sitting down, and, like, it's a Harry Potter musical thing. And so, the th- have you found... Jim Broadbent! Jim Broadbent is yes. his name. Yes. Um, but, yeah, sitting there while I wait for the, the rest of the audience to file in around me, because I've entered pretty promptly. You? <laughs> uh, yeah, and so... Were you alone? Uh, yes, I was alone. I was, I was alone last night. I'm not complaining. Sure, but I was... I, I, I like, contemplated the idea of yanking someone to Frankston with me. Well, yank into Franks. <laughs> Can I yank you to Frank? <laughs> Want to yank into Frank? I said yes to this and I thought it was something else. <laughs> I was expecting a hand job. Oh, they always are. <laughs> um, yes, no, so went alone and then yes, sitting there on the George Jank. <laughs> just yanked to Frank and Georgie and Jank. <laughs> I yanked myself to Frank and was sitting in the George Jank and I was there looking at uh, the stage, the beautiful stage that I wanted to Marry on yes. the spot. <laughs> My soulmate. And it's like four little platforms with kind of like suspended, kind of like. Oh, houses. Sort of like, four houses. It's like, yeah, so it's like the four platforms representing each of the four it. houses. And then each of them have above them kind of like a, a church window shaped kind of like window thing glass kind of hanging with, there. Stained glass Like window? stained glass, but just kind of like the frame of it with the sort of like a like a like a fabric filling up the window. Cool. Just kind of like a shadow of a window kind of thing. Hot. And they're each illuminated by the, like the house colours, mm-hmm. you know? And it really I just know. illuminated for me, like, not to in any way sound like I'm supporting the mind of a turf, but <laughs> JK Rowling really knew what she was doing in terms of like, you know how the human mind loves categories and people oh, love yeah. things like love horoscopes. That's why she's a turf, I guess. That's why she, but because of she the She loves simplest... breaking down into categories. She loves a simple category. That makes sense. Which makes her a simple person. Makes her a simple person. Mm. Mm. who is anti-trans. Yeah, no, it does make sense that she would not... Well, that's the... I cannot get into this tirade about one of <laughs> but the... But you're thi- going to go But ahead. one of the things that feeds people's desire... Well, not... That, that, that causes people to end up being bigots in the first place is obviously the broken nature of the education system. Yes. Because if you don't teach children well, they lack curiosity. And they they're want in, simple structure. They want simple structure. Yeah. And they come to learn... Like, if you don't breed curiosity in a child, then they get very narrow-minded. And because they don't want to learn, they come to, like, find learning exhausting in the first place. And how relaxing is it to think that you understand everything then you come yeah. to resent anyone that suggests that maybe you don't know something and then it's like you know what I'd rather not know it and that's you know? how you become a turf that's how you become a turf that's also become a hate like, that's how you become a flat earther because yep. what is it it's not the beta Meinhof one it's the other one the one where it's like because you don't know anything you immediately think you know everything about something, you know? Like the thing of like... Oh, yeah, you've told that, me about this before. That thing, it's like... And the the thing of like, because you... It was so interesting. Do you remember that like Beyond the Curve documentary? Yep. Yeah, where it was like they had that big meeting and then it was the meeting of the Flat Earthers and then there was this like scientist meeting that was happening around the same time and they were talking about the fact of people are driven to Flat Earth theory partly by the fact that they resent the scientific community for making them feel stupid 
And so they They just double down on their beliefs And and part of the appeal of the flat earth thing Is like well all the scientists are wrong in the first place And so we know this reality And because they're almost making their reality up They know all the rules It's like how relaxing would that that be It's an interesting study to sort of like that sort of mind and how that works. Yes. Because it's wrong. Yeah. But it's so thoroughly believed and so hard to tell them otherwise. Mm. So yes, it, 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 sitting there looking at the the risen platforms coloured by... So they were like lit by the colours of the houses they represented. Which are the four parts of the human personality. Uh, sure, sure. They're also the four... It's not literally the same four colours as the Wiggles, but it definitely harkens to a similar thing of like people like... Horoscopes, people like categories, people like colours. Yes. And so the fact that you could just sit there and look at this array of four oh, colours. Green's evil, yes. Oh, red's good. It Blue re- is smart and yellow is high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and really also, me obviously going in already not really caring about Harry Potter at all, obviously already hating a lot of what J.K. Rowling stands Great for. Great mindset to be going in. It's, well, it's that, but it's even just the thing too of like, oh my God, this is really permeated culture to the point where it's like, I know what all these houses are called. Yes. I know what the <laughs> colours are. I, for some Mind reason, you, you worked in a theatre for like five years or something where Harry Potter is every day. Yes. So that, that I also feel colours you quite a bit. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there was also that existing as well. But yes. So yeah. And then the show began. So it proceeds oh. to be like, so it's like set when Tom Riddle mm-hmm. was yep. at school. At Hogwarts. Okay. Being so, a sexy Hogwarts student. So, so you are enthusiastically... I have read the books enough and I have seen the movies and played the video games enough to know the story of Tom Riddle as a child. Um, I am Lord Voldemort. Right, right, right. Because he was the one who was like the handsome guy that was in that... Ginny Weasley got lost in a book. Terrible Ginny. Terrible, boring Ginny. (laughs) (laughs) Who I had a really weird sexual awakening for as a child. In that you were like, oh, I like men because she's horrid. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, the idea of Harry and Ginny together made me go, oh, ah. In that you, imagining them having like, I, I don't even I didn't even sex. imagine them having sex. I just the idea of a romantic relationship like that was like it made me excited. It made me go, oh, this is I don't, oh whoa. because you wanted intimacy. I don't know what it was, Jake. I was a young okay. child, and I just remember being very excited by them being together. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, but um, Ginny Weasley is awful, and she gets <laughs> lost in a book in the worst way, and that she falls into it. Oh, uh, and Tom Riddle's like, hello, Ginny. I'm gonna be your sexy school guide and teaches right. her things. And at that, I only have the movies to go off. Yeah. He, in the movie, at yeah. this point, yeah. is like 20. He's a twink, yeah. Why is he only 20? Isn't he like. Because he's a teenager in this musical. Okay, spoilers for Harry Potter in general. The the, the <laughs> book is a Horcrux. The book? So, so it's a. It's a fractured part of his soul. Do you mean the diary? The diary, yeah. The diary that Ginny fell into is a yes. Horcrux where Voldemort has kept part of his soul yes. so he can live forever. And that's part... I'm not sure if that part... Because he definitely didn't make the... Oh, did he make the Horcrux when he was that young? Or was it just that's how that part chose to represent itself? This musical suggests that he found the diary and then decided... Because this was around the time that he was learning about what a Horcrux is. Oh, I see, okay. And then he sort of at random chose the diary to be one of the places where he puts his soul. Because well, he has a song be... in this musical... About deciding to cut his soul up and put it in things. Well, that must be where, yeah, that might because he must have made it at that point. Then, yeah. Well, then, yeah, that's what's happened. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was, was there a question there, or? Um, I was confused as to why in the movie he's still young and handsome when he's supposed to be a lizard by then. Well, it must be because he made that Horcrux when he was that young. So he's still when you go into the diary. Because I don't think all the souls are connected. I think it's like 
if you were to clone yourself, that clone would then go on to do its own things. Does that mean that there's like, doesn't he choose things that aren't diaries? Isn't there one where a he's like- A teacup, yeah. So is there like a hot teenager there's... in the cup? I, I think if if I th- I don't want to go into the logistics of it I don't think because that that's confusing. That does. Say- but there's a teacup. <laughs> that's that's that's, that's tricky. Physics. My brain's that's- my brain's tired. <laughs> there's a teacup. There's a tiara. I think there's a sword. I think the sword. No, not the sword because they use the sword to destroy the Horcruxes. <sighs> anyway, this is very important. There's a snake <laughs> who's also a Korean woman. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it does get a bit twisted <laughs> Like a snake Oh god Yes uh-huh. anyway So yeah Alex Donnelly plays Voldemort Well Tom Riddle <laughs> sure. And he's immaculate The whole cast is really really great Oh great how big is the cast? Um, oh it's approximately eight people yep. I could count them But what are numbers? They're <laughs> um, Yeah they're super like across the board. It was just like a collection of people that were so like reliably skilled, mm. and just like each one of them was just like, oh my god, you're incredible too. Oh, oh my right. god, you're incredible too. Yeah, it was that's like, really nice. It was just this, yeah, just yeah, no, super duper good. But yeah, anyway, as far as the plot goes, and again, cut me off whenever there's something Harry Potter related that you want to talk about or ask about. Oh, I'm ready. Because- Hold on, listen to this. That's me cracking my knuckles. Ew, I'm so sorry, everybody. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. It begins, the, the houses all exist. We come to learn what the, all the houses kind of represent. Yep. Um, the one that sticks out is like, there's a lot more Hufflepuff action in this than I've ever experienced in any of the movies. I feel it's because a lot of nerds are in Hufflepuff. Like they get sorted into Hufflepuff. So a lot of nerds feel like they need to represent Hufflepuff Speaking a lot more. Speaking of nerd enthusiasm, the, the audience was so into this show. Oh God. It was in a way that was like really, really sweet. It was nerds, like this voiceover nerds. comes out. Like, you know, the voice that's like, um, like, Welcome to country. The voice that's like, turn your phones off. The oh, same sure, voice sure. was also like, let's hear it for like the house you're in. And so they went through all the houses oh. and the audience was just, like, just ready to respond. Did you cheer when Slytherin came along? A hundred percent no. Can you imagine, oh, come if on. I, if I, can you imagine me sitting alone in the George Jenk <laughs> yes. and this voiceover is like, let's hear it for Slytherin. And I'm like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have taken me. We could have cheered together. Oh my God. No, you would have cheered alone. Can you imagine being like the, like, the happy couple two seats away from me that sees me alone going like, yeah! <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! I can't imagine that. Okay, well, I'd imagine it because that hurts my Didn't feelings. Happen. Didn't happen. But yeah, no, this audience was like raring to go. That's really nice. Like those Ravenclaws wanted to be heard. <laughs> really? Ravenclaws? They're usually the quiet ones. All of them. None of them were quiet ones. Uh, Ravenclaws. Because Ravenclaws nerds. like to read, don't they're they? They're nerds. They're reading nerds. They're all stinky, stinky nerds. Um, but yes. Now, so, I don't know. While I was, you know, developing confusing feelings for Tom Riddle, Woo! the show was, yeah, proceeded to be... So it's like, the houses exist, and then there's more Hufflepuff action because the girl that is dating Tom Riddle is in Hufflepuff. Okay. So it's like her and, like, this, like, goofy blonde guy that's in love with her are both in Hufflepuff. What houses? Oh, both in Hufflepuff. Okay. They're both in Hufflepuff. And, like, a Hufflepuff thing is apparently being into snacks. <laughs> yeah, because... Yeah. Is that a real thing from the books? No, I don't because well, their their house dormitory is right next to the kitchen. Okay, like, like you have to go through the kitchen, I think, to get to their dormitory. Okay, and that's it. Another running theory is that all of the Hufflepuffs are stoned all the time, so they always have the munchies. Okay, so that's this just is a fun fact. Is that in the book? Definitely not in the book. That one, but that's oh, okay. like the because Hufflepuffs are always like got stoner vibes because they're oh. always friendly and a bit dopey and kind of nice, you know. And they okay. live near the kitchen. They're all stoned. Oh, and like Puff is like in the name. It occurs to me now that Puff is in the name. Yeah, okay, Puff right. and Puff. Oh my God. Say what you want about JK, but she's... <laughs> 420 blazes, JK Rowling. You may be a turf, but you're also a raging stoner. <laughs> she's woven a really complicated tapestry, hasn't mm-hmm. she? Yeah. <laughs> really holds together. God, I hate her. Go on. Uh, yeah, so his girlfriend is in Hufflepuff. 
Um, and they... Girlfriend or dating? I think that, yeah, I believe they're together in an official capacity. Great. Yes. And they uh, really like each other and they have this like a, a, a nice duet that I almost cried during the reprise of. Jesus. Yeah, I was not ready for it. Oh, uh, inter- interrupting really quickly. Go ahead. I just need to know immediately, is Tom Riddle presented as being evil the whole time or is it sort of like a journey that he goes on to become evil? It's... It's a journey that he goes on in terms of maybe not even embracing his evil. It's conveyed that he, like, has a proclivity for darkness. Quack, quack. Quack, quack. Um, like, he already has a pet snake. He Is it Nagini? It's a, no, his name's Jonathan. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> giggle, giggle. <laughs> I like that. Um, and, yeah, he yeah he gravitates naturally towards dark things. Quack, quack. Quack, quack. Um... But no, but he's not up to anything evil yet. And then okay. things occur that seem to sort of push him in that direction. And by the end, you get a clear, like a really clear point in like, this is why he turns into who he does. Oh, sure. Okay. You know? How long is it on for? Is it on for a bit more? I... Actually, don't worry. It's in Frankston. I'm not going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm sure it's great. I'm not no, no, yeah, no, it is great. Um... But yes, and so uh, the, it's it's in terms of it, like obviously it's a parody musical, and it very much exists, script like text wise and musically in that genre of like parody mm-hmm. text and song. Yep. In the way that there's a lot of like meta theatrical things going on, there's not a lot of like hiding substance underneath artistic flourish. Like it's a lot of everything's kind of like very surfacey yep. in a way that makes in the way that parody is very charming. It's almost like pantomimic. In its yep. in its nature, which is cool, and it also means that you get to see really well showcased the comedic sensibilities and variety of talents inside of all of these yeah, cast members. Yeah. Speaking of cast members, I need to know. Okay, Dumbledore, he's there. He's there. He's there. McGonagall, he's there. He's gay. He's there and he's gay. Big gay. Yes. Great. McGonagall, not there. Did what? I miss her? Not really. What? But she's great and she's Scottish. She's great and Scottish. So she's Scottish. Yes. Okay. McGonagall. Um, sure. Also, like McDonald's, how they're famous for their haggis. Is that what you're saying? Okay, you sound like an idiot now. How embarrassing <laughs> for you. Uh, Hagrid. Hagrid is there. Great. How do he's... they do Hagrid? How do they do Hagrid? Because in Cursed he's Child, a... he's got giant platform boots and a boots and a ridiculous beard. Um, this guy, I th- I couldn't, I think he's a student in this. Did, oh, no, because, okay, Canonically, sure. did Hagrid go to school with Voldemort? Oh, shit, he did. Yeah, because he, because he's the reason he got expelled. Voldemort got him expelled. Oh, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so he's in it. And has a very impressive, like, impersonating accent of the film version of Hagrid. Which is? Which I... <laughs> oh, I'm Hagrid. Don't you think so, Harry? No. Dead on. That was, <laughs> did you think Hagrid walked in? <laughs> no, I didn't. Did you think I invited him onto the podcast? I'm and... actually just a bit jealous of how good it was. <laughs> how good my accent is. Oh, Harry. Oh, Harry. Are you going to... <laughs> How much of that are we going to keep? <laughs> All of it. Okay, okay, keep going. Okay, so Hagrid, McGonagall, we've discussed. Not McGonagall. Not McGonagall. Snape. Um, Snape. There's a brief moment where we get time travel from, which I was grateful for, right. because as we've established, I cannot stand Harry Potter as a franchise or as a person. <laughs> and so we get this very nice moment where Harry and, you know, the nerd and the redhead yep. come back from, wait, what direction are we going? Come back from the future to stop something vague from happening. 
and they run into Tom Riddle, and then it's kind of because Harry Potter is really obnoxious to Tom Riddle. Mm. Tom Riddle's like, "Wouldn't it be unfortunate if, if because you were such a cunt, I wanted my mission to destroy you in the future?" That's pretty funny. That was pretty. That's funny. pretty funny. And it also answered the question that we sort of posed in our Harry Potter episode, of which to- you can go back and listen. Go to. Go back and listen to it. Um, as to why. Tom, why Voldemort wants to kill Harry Potter in the first yeah, place? Yeah, because there's still no. I, I, did we decide what that was? No, I still am. I have no understanding of why he was so mad at that baby. I still believe he wasn't mad at the baby. I think he was trying to kill James and Lily, and the baby just happened to be there. Right. I think I literally think that's what it was. Because so James embarrassing. and Lily, it is embarrassing. It's like <laughs> you couldn't kill a baby. <laughs> oh. Oh, 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 I couldn't I've live with so many babies. <laughs> Trigger warning. Baby Tr- death. Trigger warning. Baby death. <laughs> Good. Yeah, there was this interesting in terms of like the the greater overhanging world of not just Harry Potter as a piece of literature, but almost like the artistic universe that exists around Harry Potter. So much of the yeah. stuff that's been generated in the response extended to this, universe, the of extended Harry Potter. universe of like things like a very Potter musical, yeah, and etc. Puffs, if puffs. Even that fucking like YouTube puppet show, like there oh, was yeah. so much Jesus stuff Christ, that is orbiting yeah. this galaxy, and the it was SNL skits. Yep, yeah, it was interesting to see, and which again talks to the tragedy of this having bled into so much of like pop culture. It's like, why do we all know <laughs> like the names of the Hogwarts houses? Um, but the it was interesting to sort of see it in action in the way that when this time travel moment happened, mm. one of the actors played Draco Malfoy <laughs> in a really true, but and did that you know that really funny like body language thing that in the very Potter musical how Malfoy yep. like, rolls oh, around. Oh, absolutely, I know that. Yeah, they did that, and there was like this chuckle of recognition. That's fun from that's so much fun. of the that's, that, that's the thing. It was like that's. That that felt like a really Hello, wonderful Potter. You know, and it was like it was a moment that for me at least felt so almost like transcendent in the way of like yes, I hate this stupid wizard school and the fact that we all know what it is, <laughs> but it's like the fact that we can all kind of like share this piece of literature to an extent that like fan made replications of the original text. You like my literature, baby? Oh, <laughs> stop sharing my literature. Oh, sorry, I just made it, baby. Oh, no, share to share, joke. You're welcome, baby. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> share it around. Share it around. Oh, oh. Maybe we'll share out. We all love oh. to share. Oh. <laughs> um, but I just felt really beautiful in the way that that, that kind of like that there's the additional capacity to enjoy something so many steps removed, but it still has yeah. this. I don't know. It just for some reason felt really lovely, just in the nature of like what storytelling is. It almost sounds like you got swept swept up in the Harry Potter community. Ah, uh, gross. No, but I did. I kept getting swept up. Like it snuck up on me that I was like on the brink of tears when yeah, Muffin and Tom were swinging Muffin? to each other. His girlfriend's name is Muffin. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no, no. What? Uh, <laughs> Who names she, their daughter Muffin? Ah, uh, they were like it's tied to the whole Hufflepuffs being into food. Yeah, but you food. don't look at your child and go, "You're going to be in Hufflepuff." You're going to be muffin. Maybe you do. I don't know how wizards work. Very proudly. You get sorted by the sorting hat. Yeah, that's true. That person in The Cursed Child who goes... <laughs> yes, that schizophrenic man that tells yes. you... <laughs> no one questions him. They just let him do it. <laughs> just don't look him in the eye and he'll go away. He will choose the quality of yours at face value and determine the, the next few years of your life. <laughs> You'll seem evil, Slytherin. Um, yeah, that's how they get sorted. So they didn't look at this child when she was born and say Hufflepuff. Maybe it wasn't about Hufflepuff, maybe it was just about the fact that they really liked bread. She really likes bread. bread. She has a song about bread. That's, That's the thing. A large cute. part of the... And what is interesting, too, in the way that it being a parody musical, it's sort of like, as is just like 
a thing that occurs with that genre of, like, art, obviously. It's like the plots tend to not be especially, like, especially complicated or profound. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is just, the, you know, the path of That's the course. Yeah. So it was like uh, one, uh, uh, sort of like a narrative thread of, like, Sort of very early on, Albus Dumbledore is like, we're doing a battle of the bands. <laughs> I was like, why? That feels like an episode of Community. Sure. Yeah. It was like, oh, this is this is the plot of that. Voldemort and the Teenage Hogwarts. It's like, great. That was the plot? They ended up that doing was, a battle of the bands? They did. Oh my God. Maybe yeah. I will go to Prankston. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to go to Prankston. But, um, okay. Yeah. But that was just like a, a goofy plot choice that I thought was kind of charming. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, it wasn't me saying I have anything to say. I was, I'm wondering if there's any other characters I need to know if they were in the show. Can you list any other notable characters that were in the show that I so, might who are? So, so all the houses had a representative in them in terms of like the main cast. Yeah. So obviously Tom Riddle was in Slytherin. Oh. And then... <laughs> really? And then Muff and his girlfriend was in Hufflepuff <sighs> with this like really delightful uh, like friend of hers who was, like, secretly in love with her and was, like, spent the whole show kind of pining after her. Yep. And he was really, really, like, really well done. Was his name Danish? Uh, no. <laughs> 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 um, and then the girl from Gryffindor... Oh, God, I hate saying these words. Gryffindor, she was, like, a, like a, a an an... Not ancestor, the opposite. A descendant of... Godric, Godric Gryffindor. Godric so Gryffindor. So, therefore, an ancestor of Harry Potter. What? Is Harry Potter related to Godric Gryffindor? I'm pretty sure that, that Harry Potter is related to Godric Gryffindor. Sure. Well, I guess an ancestor of Harry Potter was... Yes. Uh, moaning Myrtle before she became ah! before she became a toilet goblin. So a live version of Moaning Myrtle. <laughs> yes. Pre-death Moaning Myrtle. Did it have Myrtle. her die? Ah, uh, no. No, oh. she didn't die in the show. Like a missed opportunity. A missed opportunity. <laughs> um, Kill her. Yeah, but she, yeah, she was Ravenclaw. Yes, great. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I found it... Obviously, I spent the whole thing just being very enamoured by Tom Riddle. And then also... It was, like, really interesting to... Because, again, I do not engage for... Not to keep flaking this. I don't engage very thoroughly or enthusiastically with the Harry Potter universe. Mm-hmm. But You're it's talking like, a lot about Harry Potter. <laughs> um, it certainly you made me... to see this show. It made me more interested in... Because up until the, seeing this show, Voldemort had very much just been kind of like this, like swirly, effeminate lizard man. Yes. And this was interesting to see him not just like as a young human person, but also kind of as like a tragic heartbroken figure. It's like watching the Obi-Wan Kenobi series and seeing Anakin Skywalker versus Darth Vader. But I guess in a way it's a little different just in the sense of this obviously being like an unofficial retail. Like, I don't know how much of the Voldemort history is written in what J.K. Rowling has done. But it was interesting to see like the potential reframing of like him, because as far as I know, Voldemort just decided that he likes power and is evil by nature and is a very two-dimensional yeah, cutout true. of what a villain is. True, that's so true. So it was nice to see whether or not it was these creators or it was informed somewhat by the turfness herself. It was like, it was Can interesting. I question the fact that she wrote a villain that's so gay and yeah. so effeminate. Did she make him that gay or was that like Ray Fiennes? I think I, I remember in the books he has like quite a high-pitched voice. Oh, Okay. Which well, is very gay. That's our thing! That's what we do! That's our thing! <laughs> One of the most bearable things about us. Yes! Bears! We are! Right! It was interesting to see him kind of get reframed in terms of his evil with it being something more like tied to heartbreak and like, Sure. Because I just, you know, I love a heartbroken oh, villain. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure in the books there is reference to him having a love. I think he was born of a love potion. I think like his mother was slipped a love potion or something. Or the okay. other way around, and that's why he was born. And so they're like, also, it's like of... wicked. <laughs> yeah, in many ways, it's like wicked. Yeah. <laughs> but instead of a love potion, it was green juice. 
<laughs> uh, green elixir. Green elixir. That was have meant to sip of green elixir. I think it was just like a drug. A drug. I think it was like, have another sip of this. It's a, it's a drink. It's a fun drink. We're going to have a fun drink and drink. And then Could you'll it? have a... What? So not to cut you off. No, no, I have nothing else to say. (laughs) Um, Yeah, um, I'm wondering if is there any world in which the elixir that caused Voldemort could be the same elixir in Wicked? No. Which could be the same elixir in Sweeney Todd? No. No, there's no Sweeney Todd. What? No. It's Pirelli's miracle elixir. That is very, very, very clearly pointed out to be piss and ink. (laughs) Isn't that was just what Helena Bonham Carter Carter says to convince people not to buy his elixir in order to elicit like that's? But it is also famously throughout history in those times people would just sell whatever they had and pretend it was an elixir. But wouldn't that be a good enough reason for Alphaba's mother to ingest the elixir and then poop? Out a green <laughs> witch, <laughs> but there's no reason the alphabet cannot also be related to Shrek and the Grinch <laughs> and every other green creature. Are you on just this... <laughs> saying that all green people must be related? I'm saying they might be. Wow, okay. they might be. Okay, Jake. I guess it's safe to say maybe the Horcruxes we really made were the friends along the way. You are the dumbest person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, I guess I'll say, and I don't think this is spoiling anything, I'm just going to bring it up because I thought it was like one of the most striking theatre moments that I've experienced in like a little while. Oh my god, okay. In in the way that it's a very unique thing that they did. Nudity is done in a lot of shows, Jay. The final moment Uh of the show, which again, I don't think is giving anything away, is like... So it's like Voldemort center stage having blossomed into the type of evil that he becomes. And he like is looking out into the audience and then like the like the the very recognizable Harry Potter like theme music starts playing. Yes. And he like menacingly sings along to it. Oh which I thought was incredible. That's great. Like the da da yes. oh! the way that it then goes back and like recolors the idea that like, oh my god, has that been Voldemort's theme the entire time? That's pretty good. And also him just sinisterly singing sinisterly. Are you trying Sinister? to say synesthesia? Yes. You have synesthesia. I have synesthesia. That's how you're telling me. Yellow! No, um, in a sinister way, singing that song is, sounds like a very nice image. Oh my God. I love that. So wonderful. Oh, good on you, And then Alex. even that, now, even just describing it now, is like, I wish we could like unmake all the Harry Potter movies and make them from Voldemort's perspective. That does sound more interesting. Yes, yeah, sir. To be fair. Yeah. I'm sure you know they will do that at some point. Do you think so? Absolutely. I, I think in about 10 years time, there will be a Voldemort story. Oh, I love how you keep saying Voldemort. Because it's stuck in my brain from working. <laughs> the um, fancy French version of his name. <laughs> the way it's meant to be said. Yeah, the gayer way. Voldemort. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, I guarantee that'll happen within the next 10 years. And like a Voldemort prequel series. Like a prequel series or like a, a series that's like set during the time of Harry Potter and it's all about him. I, th- I just, I, don't, I see that being... <laughs> Just all about him. <laughs> it should be called like all about Voldemort. And it's like a picture of Voldemort with his arms crossed in black and white. Like yes, yes. Yeah. And Helena Bonham Carter behind him, sort of like <laughs> dropping too many like bags <laughs> that she's carrying. Yeah. And one of, and a baby as well. And a baby. You're trying to balance all this life. Do they have a baby? Uh, the, the cursed child. It's oh, is that Voldemort and Helena Bonham Carter's baby? Yes. Is the girl from yes? Oh, okay. Who we still do not know for sure is the cursed child. Yes, we still don't there know who the cursed no child is. There is still no clarity on who the cursed child is. None. Based on what you said, Voldemort might be the cursed he child. Be, I think maybe... And maybe if he Jake, had the alphabet it sounds... Jake, I guess maybe the cursed childs were the friends we made along the way. You <laughs> are the dumbest... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. To quote Ariana Grande. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So. We did it. We did it, James. Another week. Another week, another sleigh. <laughs> Proud yes, of us. That's how I'd word it all. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you, I guess, do you have any exciting plans this week, Jake? Do you, do you diving into this week headlong? <sighs> the week will happen. I will participate to whatever extent that I feel up to. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. That's depression. Yes. <laughs> Great. Very cool. Yeah, what are you going to do uh, with I'm, your healthy brain? My healthy brain. Ah, yeah. Um, I'm going to find it first, and then I'm going to... Eat it. Eat it. <laughs> and consume its power. Brain. Brain. Kalima! <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't have asked that question, because I don't myself have an answer. Fantastic. Mm. Well, this has been a riveting been conversation. A great, great about a thrilling week ahead. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. Hey, guys, message us. Get Reach out. Let us know yes. what shows you're doing. Give us a ticket. We'll come and have a chat. Yeah. And, and then talk about it on this show. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for listening to thank another you. episode of Prey Science. It's been so nice being inside of your ears. Mm, mm. I love it here. <laughs> dirty. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Reach out for whatever reason. We'll talk to you. We got an email. Yeah, praisedionysis at gmail.com. We got an Instagram. That is praisedionysis with one of those little A's with a circle around it. And you know what we always say. Ah, that we may already disagree with things that we just said. And friends don't let friends become theatre critics. Or playwrights, I reckon. Yeah, don't let I'm them still do that. doubling down on that one. That's fair. No, honestly, no, yeah, I, I would idea. never push somebody into being a playwright. <laughs> <laughs> Be a playwright! Here! <laughs> Wish for suicide forever! <laughs> okay. Alright, <laughs> um, right, well, until next time. Hey guys, enjoy your week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love you.